1: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everywhere
2: we go, people want to know. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Kelly, and you're listening to the Everywhere We Go podcast. On this week's episode, I sit down with my good friend, Marguerite Penrose. Her story is a story of perseverance and strength, a story of resilience and recovery, born from an Irish mother and a Zambian father, born with congenital scoliosis and abandoned in St. Patrick's mother and baby home. Marguerite found herself hitting the parenting jackpot when she was fostered by Michael and at the age of three, and she then grew up with her Irish twin, her sister, Kira. Her condition resulted in many surgeries, which in one case left her paralysed at the age of eight, and in her later years, a chest infection that nearly killed her. After an interview with Ryan Tuberty, contact was made from a nurse who worked in St. Patrick's when Marguerite spent her time there. We discuss her involvement in the Black Lives Matter movement, and she explains her treatment at the hands of Racism Ireland. I found myself trying to justify the behaviours throughout the podcast but Marguerite is very forgiving and her message to us is very simple, acceptance. Everywhere we go people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? Hi Rebecca, I'm Marguerite and I'm from Dublin. There is two points that I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you one about your life. Take it back
3: to the beginning of okay. your, your life and where your life started. Yeah sure. Well um, as I said I was born here in Dublin So a lot of what I know is only what I've been told. And I have like one piece of paper that tells me a little bit of information. So basically, um, I spent the first three years in a mother and baby home. Now, I will clarify, actually, while I'm on your podcast, I did say it was a Magdalene Laundry. Yeah. But I was told it was a Magdalene Laundry and a mother and baby home. Since then, I received a little bit of abuse, shall we say. Really? Yeah. From people saying, oh, you weren't in a Magdalene Laundry. Who do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. So it was a mother and baby home. And to be honest, both places aren't where anybody should start their life off. So there was no offense made. On my part, you know, I'm only going from information that I've thought I don't have the privilege of knowing exactly where I'm from. Yeah so um, yeah, so it was a mother and baby home. it was called St Patrick's and it was on the Navon Road. So I spent the first just over three years, I'd say there. So from what I know, my biological mother is Irish and my biological father is Zambian. Okay. So a little bit about um, my biological mother's background is that she had five, five older brothers and one younger sister. So there were seven siblings. Her parents were quite elderly. Um, it was a working class back uh, family background. Um, she knew that she couldn't afford to raise a child. So obviously somewhere along the line, her and my father had met in Ireland. He allegedly was in the Zambian army mm-hmm. and came over to the Curve for a number of times um, to, um, stay a number of weeks, I should say, sorry. And, um, obviously they met somehow, I don't know. And he did know that she was pregnant, but I don't know whether he knew this while he was here or when he went back. But, um, so she decided then obviously that she couldn't maybe give me the life that she thought, you know, I, I needed. And, um, so I don't know whether, like, I know I was born in, in a Dublin hospital, um, I don't, uh, the letter says that she came to visit me in the mother and baby home oh, a few really? times. Yeah, yeah. Now the letter is like a typed letter. It's yes, a page so what is this and letter? a paragraph. Yeah. So it's from like, I was adopted from, a, a, It's called it was called St. Louis Adoption Agency. So basically my parents now, Nolene and Michael, who you know, they're, my dad's auntie lived beside one of the nurses who worked in St. Patrick's. So my dad was in visiting his auntie one day for his lunch because he lived, worked across the road and she was in and she said, oh, Michael, she said, I wonder what yourself and Olin be interested in fostering a child for Christmas. We're looking to, you know, give the kids a little bit of a Christmas. So that's said, oh, i go home and I'll ask Olin. So home we went anyway. Now, I actually only, I don't know whether I realize this, mom and dad said they had actually talked about adoption oh. prior to this. So they said, yes. Yeah. So that's how the ball started rolling. So they were to take me on Christmas Eve. It was a Christmas Eve or and Christmas how old Day. Were you? I would have been. I suppose I would have been three. I think it all started to happen when I was three. So, but I was sick. So I was born with uh, congenital scoliosis. So okay. it's curver, curvature of the spine. So mine was really bad. So it was quite severe. So I had a lot of medical complications when I was younger um, and I was born with my, without three ribs on my left side as well. They weren't just getting like a little three-year-olds, yeah. they were getting a very complicated one. But thankfully, you know, when we met, they said that there was a great bond. I'm so sad. I don't remember any of it. I'm yeah. so young. I don't remember much about being in the home either. I remember little snippets, but nothing you know, could you imagine
2: those nurses with you? Because obviously I've seen pictures of you when you were like <laughs> with my fro. Yeah, with your fro. Could yeah. you imagine these nurses like yeah. obviously it's and that nurse said to your dad, what would you be interested? Yeah. Like praying that someone's yeah. gonna take you, you know yeah, what I mean?
3: Yeah, it must have been so hard on them. Um I did actually since the Torberdy show, when I was on the show and I came up and I was going out of reception, the receptionist stopped me and she said, Oh There's been a phone call in from this lady. So, of course, mom and I were looking at each other going, oh, what's this? So it was actually a nurse. Her name is Kathy. And she was actually there for a year and she actually minded me. Oh, my God. So that was the first time. So I'm 46 now. So that is the first time I have met somebody that was able to say that they knew me when I was, you know, say that small and did, um, um, did you meet her yeah Stop. yeah yeah we oh. went down and um, she lives in Wexford so mum dad Kira and I went down there a good few weeks ago during the summer I can't even remember I think I was in a bit of a uh, blur oh. but she's lovely so she was only 18 at the time oh my God. yeah I know I haven't really told that many people because I suppose I haven't nobody seen each other you yeah, know kind of yeah. thing so yeah she's absolutely lovely she was 18 so the gas thing is that um she was saying that she was like mad about me. She yeah. wanted to adopt me, but she was only 18, obviously. Yeah. But she said I'd never been outdoors. So this is kind of the thing about the mother and baby homes that kind of hits home for people. So basically St. Patrick's, I don't know whether you've seen pictures. I have a Google of it anyway. Mm. It was like a big, old, huge building, but it was on huge grounds. Right. So there was no reason why kids couldn't be brought outside so if you're there for three years, I've never, been I've never been outside. So that was one, the first kind of shocking thing that hit me. I was like, oh God, you know, that brought it back to reality for, for me, from where I was. Yeah. So basically we were locked in, you know, so to speak. Um. So she got permission to bring me out. So she used to bring me out into the ground. She said like, I'd never touched grass. I'd never <gasps> seen the sky properly. So I was totally in wonderment of everything. Then she asked, could she bring me to, bring me home? So she brought me on a bus so she brought me home and her, to her family yeah. and they all, you know, looked after me with her for the weekends. So you, and she used to buy, used to buy me clothes and everything. She didn't know oh I had clothes, which is she's buying really cute things. So which was lovely. So she said she would have liked to have adopted me, but she was young. She was only 18. Okay. There was nobody going to give a child, you know, an yeah. adopted child to an 18 year old. And
2: can you like, obviously like when yeah. you're, a teenager growing up yes. yeah, as I said it previously in the courts. Yeah. Like we were minding Natalie Coosie, she's quite Yeah, Imagine that her? series was amazing. Like, like oh around you. Like she'd yeah. be like, Oh my god, she's mine, I'm keeping her, I'm not yeah. letting her go. Yeah. So like, yeah. like Kathy, yeah. an eighteen year old, watching you and her yeah. probably
3: upset at leaving you. Yeah, yeah. The only reason she left she was selling me was she, her friend had gone to the UK to become a nurse and she wrote her a letter and she told her it was amazing and that she'd be great at it. So that's the reason she left. So she went to the UK and became a nurse. So after I spoke to her briefly on the phone that I think it was it that evening after the Toberty show. Yeah, it was. It was that night. So we spoke for about an hour. She was lovely. And you know what? The connection was still there. It was like mm-hmm. I knew her. Didn't feel like talking to a stranger. It was really strange, you know, but I, it was brilliant. So we then went down, as I was saying there with the family uh, a couple of weeks later and we went to our house and we met her. So it was great. She would a full, you know, real Irish mammy, full spread on. Uh-huh. And, um, I were driving up her driveway anyway, and Kira and I were in the back of the car. And Kira's like, oh my God, you know, when we pulled into the driveway, I was like, stop, I'm going to actually have a heart attack. So I think they were more nervous actually than me. And I just said, oh, do you know what? I just have to do this. So yeah. jumped out of the car anyway, and she was at the door and she just gave me a big hug. So I did kind of think I was going to well up there, but I had to get it to keep it together because yeah. I knew if I started, that would be the end of me. So from then it was just like, say you, uh, you and I sitting here just full on the app. We were there for about, I'd say four hours. Shall so our own children. She has. Yeah. Yeah. Oh she's three God. girls. Yeah. Oh. She's married. Oh, she has an amazing house. Her garden is fab. Lovely roses. Are, oh, she's yeah. She's lovely. Still keeping contact now as well. So she's like, it's great to have her as a contact, you know, to know that. And the great thing was to know that somebody did care for me. Now, I'm not saying that I was left in a corner, but, Mm. you know, like we hear so many horror stories about mother and baby homes, Magdalene Laundries, orphanages, whatever you want to call them, all those places. So, yeah, because one of the stigmas, I suppose, attached to mother and baby homes is it was said that, say, mixed race kids, black kids were actually put on a different floor that they didn't have the option of being first choice, shall we say. Yeah when it came to being adopted so maybe that's one of the reasons why I was there for so long three years but then with my medical complications as well that could have been another which is understandable you know but for me it's not something I dwell on it's part of my it's part of me it's part of who I am you know I have a great life you know my my family they are the best you know I have great friends
2: and over the years Max yeah have you cried about that
3: not much no I'm you know what I'm like though I'm like the agony ants kind of, I kind of process a lot myself. I get emotional. Maybe I probably wouldn't ball crying over it, mm. but I think, do you know what? I think I'm just so, I hate, I don't like to use the word lucky because I don't believe in the word. luck. I believe your destiny, your, you know, what's meant for you. And mm. um, so I have a blessed life. Yeah, You know, um, there's so many children that are so worse off. Some of those mother and baby home survivors, like are the industrial school um, Mm. kids, they went through horrific times. So compared to them, I am blessed. Yeah. Yeah, What I didn't have the best start in life. Mm. You know, nobody should start their life off like that. But my, my biological mother thought she was doing the best thing for me. And, you know, it probably was the best thing. Do you know how old she was? And um, she would have been 70, she would, she would be 75 this year. So I don't know if she's still alive. I, I don't know anything because that's another thing about being adopted. Yeah. And um, you don't have access to your information. So you probably saw that on lying about the mother and baby homes. Yeah. The investigation that they're doing and trying to get the information, but they're trying to seal it now for another 30 years, which means there's no chance of getting any information. And it's so wrong. Like, I know you can't just be handed a piece of paper and told, right, that's who your biological parents are. Yeah. But there should be a better process mm. um to it. Because I'm sure when our parents were giving us up as kids, they didn't realise the impact that it was going to have later on in life. I'm sure God loves them. I'm sure they go through turmoil every day. You know, do thinking you think about that? Yeah. Do you do you have to think that? No, I don't have to think it, but I don't have children you do mm. so you know what it's like yeah. to, to be a mother to give birth you know any of my friends my mom and dad been parents themselves they said there's nobody that you can might block it out for a while but it'll always come back I noticed for me around my birthday mm-hmm. it's when you were talking about getting emotional crying mm-hmm. I, I go like something happens to me around my birthday a couple of days before just this sense comes over me. Mm. and I th- It's probably a sadness. Yeah. Um, because you think, are they thinking of me? You know, they're probably thinking, are they thinking of me? So it's terrible because there's no middle person that can help you really. You can apply um, to Tulsa to find, try and trace. But I mean, it's so... So that you're talking ears, you know, and then you might get a piece of paper that's redacted. You know, you could, the person could, their your parents could be dead. Yeah. They might not want to know you. So but I think as well, some of those answers are, you know, if it comes back that you're, they're not, they don't want to meet you. I think it's probably, it's too hard for some of them. Yeah. Because a lot of them probably didn't tell their families. I don't know if my mother's family knew no, or my father's you, yeah. family knew. Now we did hear it a couple of years ago again hearsay um, that my biological father did try to come over and take me with him we oh. don't know when it was mm. when it happened but back then it was obviously it was run by nuns you know that was a no yeah. A father wouldn't be taking a child and out of the country as well.
2: And where, so the, first of all, the letter and then yeah. this piece of hearsay, because yeah. that's just, that's what you've been told and you have, you have no other reason not to believe no, that. exactly. No yeah. You have to
3: believe. The only reason I've in my head is because from talking to so many people over the last few months, from doing the interviews, we're all kind of chatting amongst each other and I'm hearing things like, oh, I was told this, but I'm actually this. So I was told I was Zambian, but I'm actually Nigerian. Oh, wow. So they, it's these things that have put dates into my head. Plus a piece of paper, there's been so many wrongdoings when it comes to adoption and mother and baby homes. You know, you know yourself, the scandals that they're all talking about, the investigations. There's never any concrete. Well, this is what happened. Here it is. We're going to open the closet. We're going to tell everybody what happened and we're going to try and get past it and rectify where it's, it's all brushed under the carpet. So we've only got, I've only got what this page tells me. Or where did you somebody get that page? Me. My parents were sent it. So it came in the post and it was true when I was adopted. Well, no, sorry. I was fostered first. The reason I was fostered and not adopted was because of my medical, because I had to have loads of surgeries and things like that. So um I was put basically I was a ward of court until I was old enough then until most of my surgeries were over. So um the adoption happened no, is not it terrible we can't really remember when I was adopted. Oh, really <laughs> I say I was 16 my my mom says I was 17 we can't find the search. Like this is how blasé we are about it. But so I was older. So at that stage my biological mother actually had to sign a form to get have me legally adopted so yeah yeah so they would and she did ask for a photo of me now I'm really sad like 16 years later she had to do this no yeah yeah before I was adopted yeah to legalize the adoption that is mind-blowing I know mind-blowing for you yeah well you see I was younger you have to think if this was all happening now I'd be like right I want to know who she is I want to see a picture she asked for a picture of me so we gave her one I never even thought like I was just so, oh, my mom and dad are my mom and dad. And, you know, I live with them. And yeah, I have another mother. But I don't know. I just didn't. We did, I just didn't think about it. Whereas now I have so many different questions, you know. So, um, yeah. So she asked for a photo of me then. And your mom so. and dad sent it? Yeah. Did yeah. they tell you she asked for this photo? Yeah, sure. I had to be told everything. I had a social worker. Right. So because I was still like a ward of court. So the social worker used to come and visit the home, I think it was once a year or whatever. If there's anything wrong, like if I wasn't, you know, well, or if I had surgeries, they'd be in contact with mom and dad. But mom and dad did all everything for me. Like they were, they were just amazing because when they came and, um, you know, I went to stay with them you know, started going out for weekends. It was actually another couple interested in adopting me. It's a laugh. I'm there three years, nobody. And then all of a sudden, everybody wants <laughs> me. It's like the <laughs> men in your life over the yeah. years. Oh, <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Anyway, so, well, my mom and dad didn't think they were actually going to get me as a child because the other couple were doctors. So mom and dad said, oh, we haven't a chance now. This is us gone. But they did. Oh,
2: so my the God. The best parents
3: one. I know. Yeah.
2: And I know, um, you and Kira. So Kira is your sister. sister. Yeah. And how
3: many, like, what's the age difference between So you? we're both 46. So I'm three months older. I'm born in January and she's born in, born in April, but I obviously her as the older sister. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So it's gas. Everybody does. I think it's because, you know, she's had kids. She's been married, you know, so. She was always looking out for me. Now we are very close. Mm. Um, as you know, we've worked together. We you know, it's so funny. It's like you're following me to this job. Mm. Like she got me a job in Spire years ago because she started there. Mm. Then I started in Ryanair and I got her a job in Ryanair. Like it was mad. Yeah. And um and it was so funny, you know. Remember in Ryanair, people didn't even know they were sisters.
2: <laughs> I know, and I do I remember it was a I remember somebody slagging off Kira or something like that. Yeah. And I was like her
3: sister. sister. Yeah. That's her sister. <laughs> and because Penrose is an unusual surname. Yeah. So to have like two Penrose's in the wooden building. So well, there's loads of us in there, We'll forgive them for that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So there's only three months between us. So mom and dad had quite a lot in their page. Yeah. yeah. So but, they yeah. had this,
2: um... Three year old toddler running around and then all of a sudden they have this other (laughs) me (laughs) toddler that comes with some, as I said, medical issues. Yeah,
3: yeah. And And I was quite like I was tough at the time because I used to get like really bad chest infections. I um, needed lots of like major, major surgeries. Um, as I said there, I was born without three ribs on my left hand side. So I actually had to get artificial ribs made by a dentist. Wow. I know a That's dentist. Bonkers. I know it's all weird. But anyway, they're keeping me alive. So thanks yeah. very much, Mr. Dentist person. <laughs> so yeah, so that was only like minor. Then I had spinal fusion for my scoliosis. So I don't know whether you know about spinal fusion they basically insert like a metal rod at the end of your spine and it helps to straighten the curvature. So How old were you? That I over? was, I would have been seven going on eight. Okay. So had the surgery and that back then, I mean, it's still a big surgery now, but back then it was, I think I was something like 15, 16 hours in surgery, had the surgery. Um, and then it was actually my mom noticed that there was a problem. So I was on a striker bed. I don't know whether you've seen them. They're they probably don't even do yeah. them anymore. So it's a really straight bed that turns you. So I couldn't just decide, oh, I want to lie on my side. Yeah. So I either lay on my stomach or my back, but the bed flipped over. So you were kind of sandwiched in while they were turning you. And then when they turned you, you were automatically on your stomach. Oh, so bad. I couldn't like mm. I, I could basically move my arms yeah. myself, you know. Mm. So um mum came in to visit me one day and she noticed she's God, I don't I don't see her moving her legs. Yeah. So she was saying to me, oh, wiggle your toes there. So I was like, yeah, I'm doing it. She was like, oh, great, great. So mom said, no, I wasn't doing anything. So she went out and got the nurse and the nurse called the doctor and they all came into the room and they were testing. So I was actually paralyzed from the surgery. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I was rushed down then for another emergency surgery to take the rod out, thinking that was going to correct the paralysis. But it didn't. (laughs) So nine months later, I'm still in hospital so you have to imagine like I'm only eight I don't really understand what's going on yeah. my dad didn't drive my mum drove and um, we lived in Donameda at the time I was in Crumland it was miles away then yeah. there wasn't M50s and all that so it was quite pressured they'd care then as well as their daughter to look after so and they came and see me every single day Wow. Every day. My mum was like the mum of the wards because so many kids came up from the country and they might have seen their parents once a month if they were lucky, some of them. So mum used to go around visiting everybody. <laughs> so kind of after a good few months, like I'd had um, physiotherapy and everything to try and help, but you're nothing. I was, yeah. I was going nowhere. So mom kind of eventually said, right, you know, she's had enough. We're going to take her home. So they put on like a, a plaster Paris jacket on me. So it was like a vest. Yeah. But it was made of plaster Paris. So it was like, you know, when you break your leg. Yeah. So um, that was put on me as a vest and I was put into a wheelchair. So they took me home. So mom and dad were really good. You know, they did my physio. I hated it. God loved them. I used to cry. I used to scream. I didn't see the sense of it. I couldn't understand why I couldn't just walk. I went in there walking, you know, nearly a, a year later and here I am in a wheelchair. But eventually one day, I, I actually remember this day and I'm so glad I do. I was with mum and I literally took like two steps and she was like, oh my God, you're walking. And I was like, am I? You know the way, yeah, it was yeah. like, you know, a yeah. child when a child's yeah, walking. Yeah. So, and that's how it happens. And here I am now plodding along today. So it was tough. It was a tough role. When I look back now, I'm like, how? How? Did I get through that? Yeah. Well, only because my parents are amazing and family and friends, you know, the encouragement, and I'm stubborn, yeah. <laughs> as you might know. Yeah. And um, so great determination, you know, to do that. So kind of then, like my health, kind of, you know, I was grand. I was up and down, up and down. And then about eight years ago, I started going downhill again. It wasn't great. And right. um, the old lungs aren't brilliant Um, because with scoliosis, it squashes your organs. Okay. So my lungs haven't got the same capacity, my stomach. Everything like that, Mm. everything is all squashed. So I started getting sick, like chest infections, just run down, fatigue, everything. So it all came to a crescendo, as you'll know. It'll be five years ago this December. It started in the October. I wasn't well, got a really bad chest infection. Kept going to the doctor, you know, getting an antibiotic, still wasn't feeling great, but kept going. Then, of course, it got to November, busiest time in retail. Yeah. So I was flat out in the shop, absolutely crazy busy. Got up to Christmas Eve, you know, wasn't great. When I look back at the pictures now, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I look yeah. actually like that. So it came to, um, I was off St. Stephen's Day. No, I was in St. Stephen's Day and I was off the next day and Jamie and Charlie were young. Then my nephews, so I'd said to care that I'd sit with them for a few hours. Her and Dave were going off shopping. So she mm. said, Grant, I drove around, sat with them. And I remember sitting there when she was gone and it just felt really weird, mm. but I, I I wasn't really thinking properly. So Kira and Dave came back and she came Keira came made the station room and she said, when she looked at me, she said, my breathing, it was like, I was labored. I couldn't take my breath properly. Yeah. She said to me, oh God, you don't look well. You don't, you're still not well. I'm calling the doc out the hospital. Yeah. I was like, no, no, I'll be fine. I'm off tomorrow. I'll rest. Everything will be grand. So she said, come out to the kitchen, Dave, after making you something to eat. And at that point, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get into the kitchen, how I'm going to walk. I just felt awful. Got myself in. And I remember looking at the dinner and trying to pick up the fork on, oh, can't. I have no energy. So Kira just insisted then. She yeah. rang the emergency doctor in the cottage hospital up in Dralda and the triage nurse swung me back. I couldn't even talk at that stage. Here's like, she can't form a sentence. She's coughing. She looks terrible. So they'd made an appointment and we called mum and dad and dad brought me up later. Now still to this, we went, like dad came with me. Yeah. And I thought, oh, they'll give me a stronger antibiotic Anastasia, or steroids yeah. and I'll be home. Yeah. So I'm in there and the triage nurse sees me and she said to me, you know, you're struggling to breathe. And I was like, oh, am I? I said, oh, and I remember I was roasting hot. And I started getting really agitated then, yeah. But I couldn't breathe. So that's what was wrong with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So she said, "I'm going to have to go in." So the doctor was actually in with the patient. So she went in, got the doctor out, and the doctor just took a look at me and said, "Ambulance! Now it's a right around the corner." Yeah, yeah. the Lord's Hospital. Mm, mm. So I was like, "Oh, my dad's outside. He'll bring me." She was like, no. "Typical you, though. I know. I'll be grand. Yeah, that's my answer to everything. Yeah. sure I'll be grand." Still no alarm bells, didn't think anything dramatic. So they went out, triage nurse. said, I'll go out and tell your dad, she said, We're gonna put you on oxygen here. So they lay me up in a bed and they put me on oxygen. And I kind of started feeling a bit better. So and I all I was thinking was this um these ambulance men are gonna come now and think this one is a quack. Like they're after <laughs> calling her an ambulance. So I was, you know me, mortified, yeah, right? Yeah. my poor dad, you know how quiet he is. Yeah. So he came in and he's like, Oh, are you okay? And I was like, Yeah, yeah. I said, that. like they wouldn't let me drink. They wouldn't let you drive me around. So I was like, I oh know, it's a bit strange. Still never thought anything anyway. Got to the hospital, straight to A&E in the ambulance, um, still on oxygen. So it's now about half 11 at night. Yeah, The place is packed. There wasn't even room for dad to sit Shh. in a chair. So I was like, oh God. And I kept saying to dad, go home. There's no point in these yeah. stands in here. So the doctor came around and said, listen, we're going to keep you overnight anyway. So I said, listen, dad, you go home. I have my mobile. I'll ring you guys if I want. So came to the next morning. Now, this is where it all goes downhill. And I don't remember much. Do you not? So no, I remember. I remember my mom been there for a while. Then all of a sudden it cuts off. And I remember my dad. And then they said to me, oh, we're bringing you around to this room. And it was actually like a small ICU downstairs. Mm -hmm. But I thought, didn't really think anything of it. And the nurse they said to dad, you wait here, I'm going to come around and get you now in a few minutes when we have her settled. So I went in and when I think back now, a lot of it makes sense. But at the time, I think we were just, I was so sick and dad, we didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. So the the nurse actually went out and spoke to dad and said to her, it, like his words to me was when later on, he obviously didn't tell me then. Yeah. And he just, they just said, you know, you have a very sick daughter. And my dad said, we d- but I don't know what's happening. What's wrong. So they said, we're going to have to admit her to ICU. So I was like, oh, okay. So it's about midnight now and I'm going up to ICU. So I remember going up in the lift yeah. and dad got the other lift up. I remember going in and they asked me, did I want tea? And toast?" I can remember all that. And then next minute I remember is Kira standing over me, telling me you're doing great, sis. So what happened in between was they settled, settled me in. So in ICU, I don't know whether you've ever been, hopefully mm. nobody mm. has experienced it. They are so lovely. They do amazing work, those nurses and doctors. So basically, like I was in my own glass room. You're hooked up to, now I mean, it was like space, the amount of wires and everything I was hooked up to. You have your own nurse who sits beside you 24-7. Um, they told dad to go home, that they were monitoring me for the night. So it was about one in the morning, I think, when dad went home. So Mum rang first thing in the morning about six o'clock. She couldn't sleep and rang and said, you know, how is she? And they said, oh, we can't stabilize her. You're going to have to come up. Oh, what was Mom it? And dad. What? It ended up that I had, it's called type two respiratory failure. I was dying. My lungs were given up. I had very little oxygen left in my body. But they said only for Kira made that call that night, yeah. I wouldn't have survived. They didn't expect me to survive. Mum and dad had to call Kira. They were called into the room for the chat and basically told to start planning my funeral. That, oh my God. Yeah. Like, and. It's something I don't really talk about because it's, again, it's something that happened and thankfully I got through it. Yeah. But a lot of people just knew, oh, Mags is really sick. They didn't know no, yeah. the extent of it, you know. How are you so strong?
2: That's the one thing Like <laughs> I want to, I, like, I, I obviously, I, we know we've established that you and I are friends yeah. and a group of friends, we're friends a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And Julie said to me around that time, you know, Mags is really sick. Like, yeah. where do you think your inner strength comes from because me yeah in your shoes. Yeah. I, I you know hello, you know me. <laughs> I'd be like feigning dra- like the drama of it all if it was me, but yeah
3: but I don't know. Do you know what? Some people have asked me that and it's just something within me. I don't know. Um I can't if I think about it like I have thought about it a bit, especially from doing interviews and things like that. I really think it is from my beginnings. Like, when you think about it, you know what they say about birth? You're fighting from the day, the Mm. minute, the second you're born. Mm. Well, it's so true. I literally did because, you know, I came out, I was born. I was sick straight away, shall we say. So you're always in that flight or fight mode, Mm. you know. So I think it's just something um, that's... I think it's just in with me, you know. Now, don't get me wrong, I'll have bad days, you know. I had days when I was sick and I honestly especially after that really bad time. Um, when I came to um, like, they put me into an induced coma. Um, and that's that little bit where I opened my eye, eyes and Kira was saying, you're doing great, sis. And I closed my eyes. I was actually in a coma at that stage. What I just knew. And I told my parents and Kira later when I could talk um, that I just knew I was going to be okay. There was just something. It's weird. It's annoying. You know, the way they pe- pe- they say people know when they're going to die. Yeah. Well, I honestly think, you know, when you're going to live as well, mm. because although I knew I was extremely ill, I just had this knowing. But the point about being intubated is it gives your lungs a chance to recover, yeah. to heal. So I ended up, I think it was 10 days later, they had said the anaesthetist was in the head of niece she was lovely as well. They were all so nice. She said to me that, you know, you've, you're very long on being intubated and, you know, we have to take it out. So they wanted to do a tracheotomy on me. And I thought years ago, remember those horrible ones years yeah, ago? Yeah. With it? oh, so I was like shaking my head. Cause remember yeah. I can't talk now cause I'm intubated. Yeah. So everything is with a pen and paper. Plus, I'm absolutely off my head in morphine as well. But I thought I was acting normally, but I wasn't. So I couldn't spell. I couldn't write. Kira was saying, like, I wouldn't even have a pen in my hand. And I thought I was writing. So like, how? And they asked my mom, because I shook my head and said no. So mum was saying to Kira, how are we going to get her to greet this? Because they were going to have to take that decision away. So mom knew I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. But she's like, well, yeah, it's going to save her life. So I had a lovely anesthetist. And she came and spoke to me. And she told me the new procedure and how it's so different. Mm-hmm. And so I agreed. Then I said, right, if it doesn't work. Yes. So I shook my head and I agreed and I said, okay. So the day that it was coming out for the last time, they said, so mom said, I'm going to be with you. So she came up and it was so weird. There was loads of different people on that day. Normally you're used to the same people yeah, being yeah. around you. So the whole day was really surreal. There was a new nurse and she was young but she was lovely and she was like oh I'm sorry now it's not one of your regular nurses and I was like no I trust you and I did because they're just they just talk you through everything as it happens they turned down the 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 amount of morphine I was getting yeah but they said to mom go off for your lunch and come back we'll do it then Mm. but when they turned down my morphine I started to get really ill the moment left and I was lying there and this weird feeling came up like I was going to be really, really violently sick, But I couldn't because I had a tube. Yeah. So I remember getting my phone and banging off the side of the the bed. Um, one of the nieces ran over and I just typed that I was sick, going to get sick. Yeah. So they had to do it then and then. So they just, the team were around really quickly and the nurse just grabbed my hand and she said, I'm going to talk in your ear and tell you what to do. So she just said, right when we take the tapes off and we're going to take the tube out I just want to do cough 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 and so I did I listened to everything now to, I squeezed the hand off her and I did that and the tube came out and everybody was looking at me and I took my first breath and I was like oh it feels okay um and then that was it that was tube was out so when mom actually came back from lunch there I was intubation gone She's and what like, was going I through your it. head
2: like I was
3: terrified terrified I was absolutely terrified. I thought, now this is this could be where it all goes wrong again and I knew they couldn't intubate me again so I knew it was going to the tracheotomy so and I was like what's my life going to be I'm never going to work again all these thoughts come over your head plus you can't communicate Mm. so this is all inside your own head and people are talking to you and I'm trying to communicate to them and they're getting it wrong and I'm getting it wrong and oh it was so hard but and how did you deal with that after the fact like do you have trauma from that I you know what when I when it all stemmed over and everything was grand and I was finally released from hospital I had to go and live with my parents for six days I think it was eight weeks because mm. I wasn't allowed home but i sure I couldn't walk when I left yeah. it was so weak um so I lived with mum and dad and they were brilliant and my sister they all came around everybody was helping me I was in a tunnel then I was in that I'm going to because I was told now you won't be able to work again you won't be able to do this and I was like there is no way i am spending the rest of my life not working
2: so the so, eight-year-old who could yeah, walk is coming back out again year, back yeah, again yeah.
3: yeah and i was like right i just have to get myself strong mm. so at this stage like the first night i'll never forget the first night i went home um there was trauma because i before that actually i'll tell you i couldn't even go to the toilet dad had to lift me into the toilet because i couldn't walk right so i was like dad i have to go to the toilet So thank God I'm light as a feather. So he, and God love him. Like, you know, I I was about 41 at that stage. No problem. Picked me up, brought me in, closed the door, waited outside. You know, I couldn't really be left alone because I could fall over because I was just so weak. Everything had drained out of me. But that night anyway, they put me to bed and mum and dad have a dormer bungalow. So what they said they put me downstairs and I went into bed and I remember lying there and I was like, there was no sign of sleep on me. I was just... I think it was all starting to kind of hit. So they were going to bed and they came in and mom said to me, oh, I could see her looking at my dad. And mom said, you know what? She said, do you want to come up now and sleep beside me and your dad will sleep down here? And I said, yeah, like 40 years, 41 years of age, sleeping with my mother. And I held her hands in the bed. No, I didn't sleep. She went to sleep, but I lay there. But it was just the comfort of known. So the trauma, I don't think really hit. It was a good It was a good year and a half because I just didn't, I couldn't let it in. I had to get better. So I was back at work by March, working part time. But I knew if I didn't get myself on track, that wouldn't be it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you do have to push yourself to extremes. Yeah. And there's days where I lay there and I'm oh my God, I really don't want to do this, but no, get up and do it. And I'm so glad I did because I, I probably haven't been as healthy since. It's amazing.
2: But the thing is, Mags, uh, yeah. like other people could have went down a very different route. But I think as well, you've had a lovely life.
3: Yeah, I have. You're right. Definitely. Yeah. The friendship, like but you have such group of friends. and Oh, yeah. But they're all good friends. Yeah, they are. Like mom is always like me saying, oh, which friend is this now? And where do they work? You know, and I'm blessed that way. That's what I was saying. My life is blessed. Yeah, it's been tough. But like loads of people have tough things. Everybody's had some tough times in their family. If it's not, you know, them personally. So, and I'm not saying like, you know, people get illnesses and my God, it floors you. It's not that they don't have strength. It's just, it's everybody is so different, you know, and I don't honestly know. I just think... For me, it's just something within me that I just have to fight. How is your health now? My health's great. Oh Mm. my God, I'm so blessed. Like I've been really good. I took one big major disaster. But as I was saying to um, my family there recently, I think that built up in me for a good 10 years before it happened. Yeah. You know, I think there was loads of little incidents when we look back. You just kind of push past and it kind of did teach me now. I'm like very much aware Mm. of overworking Mm. your health is so important you know go to anybody dead literally you know so I go in I do my job now and I go home it was a hard lesson to learn and I think for me a lot of the trauma was the guilt of what my family and friends had to go through Mm. especially people like I was allowed a few visitors in but they had to gown up PPE up to come in and see me and for them to see me like that that was hard for me afterwards To get my head around. Now I know it wasn't my fault what happened, but I still felt guilty over it. You know, so yeah, yeah. Felt terrible. Oh, for once, I was like, oh God, I can't believe now I'm that's after happening. And now they had to like have that, like my mom, dad and sister had a conversation about my funeral, you know, like you know it was just to think about it is horrific then I was thinking god what happens if I had died now what would they have done how would they plan the funeral like stupid things go to your brain so yeah there was a lot of guilt there but again it didn't come till about a year and a half or two years afterwards and even that like you said start that you know you
2: didn't even t- really tell people what yeah. because we went out to the house yeah myself, Julie and Darren yeah and we yeah. went out and I was kind of driving it and you know me because I'm so flighty like I was like now what are we going out here for? Yeah. And what's going on? And they're like, she's not well. And I was like, right. I'm wrong yes. with her? And it was like, <laughs> we, we don't know. We, just, yeah, we don't we, know. Really. We don't know. But we just know she's not well. So, we'll yeah. so yeah. I was like, oh, great. We'll go out and we'll bring her biscuits and we'll have a cup of
3: tea. And we did. The usual. Yeah. yeah. And that's the way I wanted it. Because um, I think as well, the harder thing as well is because when this was all going through, which is absolutely bananas, I was actually still posting on Facebook. But I was actually off my head. I could have written anything. You know, Kira actually had to get my, um, my passcode off me and check my messages because people were obviously messaging me stuff. But she, like they've said in ICU, you have to be careful about the way you speak around her, even when I was in the, in the induced coma, because she said, they, they say patients can hear. So they didn't want people coming into, like my mom, dad and Kira coming into going, oh my God, she's dying. And oh God, she's so sick. So they had to pretend God loved them when they came in the room. And that's why Kira was leaning over me, telling me I was doing brilliant. But really, here she is looking at her sister in an induced coma on the bed. So that must have been so hard for them, you know. They have amazing strength as well. And do you use talk about that now? Um, no, I'm not really. Like, this is probably the most I've talked about it. You're actually getting an exclusive here now. Yeah, I just don't talk about it. I yeah. just I just kind of. The odd time it would come up in conversation, obviously, when it comes to the date every year. Yeah. The 28th of December, I'm like, oh you know, this day, whatever, 90 years ago is when I went into the induced coma. Yeah. Like we'd mention it every now and then, obviously they're, they're always concerned for me, you know, but they know I'm very sensible now. Like, you know, if I have something, if I don't feel well, I'm straight to the doctor. Obviously I'm working in healthcare now in swift care. So I, you know, I know I'm, I'm in safe hands, but it is a worry. It is a worry every winter I'm thinking, could this thing get me again? You know, could it happen? I want to bring it back to Kira, Yeah, Kidi so, Ponzi is her nickname. What's her nickname? Kidi Ponzi. She'll kill me for saying that. <laughs> so when she was younger, she couldn't say Kira Penrose, so she called herself Keedy Ponzi, and that's what she's still on my phone. as <laughs> Kidi Ponzi. Oh
2: really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and come here, tell yeah. me this, right? So, uh, let let's try and see if we can like be as honest as possible. In, and I know Kara's not here, but yeah, only have two girls. Yeah, and they kill each other, right? Yeah. They kill each other, right? <laughs> so. As a, this three-year-old, yeah, absolutely spoiled in our life, you know, she's yeah, the only child, yeah, we we can hear from your story, and I know that your mom and dad are such amazing parents, yeah, they are. Yeah. So you can only imagine the life Kira had, yeah, yeah. So she could have very easily gone down a different route with you, but yeah, how was that for you guys? Oh
3: well, from the time that I can remember, we were always like the best friends. Mm. You know, we were treated like twins. Right. You know, we used to laugh and say, yeah, we're twins, you know, and people be looking really confused. Well, oh, my God, your one's black. How is she, your twin? <laughs> but um, yeah, oh, she, as I said, I always considered her the older sister because she was like the mammy. Mm. So she always looked out for me. Like we went to school. We're obviously in the same year. We were in the same class. And then one day my mom got a phone call <laughs> from the teacher and she's like, no, Leanne, I'm going to have to separate them. I was like, oh, why? What's wrong? And she because Kira keeps putting up her hand and saying, my sister needs to go to the toilet. My sister needs oh, to blow her nose. My sister this, my sister that. So she said, like, I was just sitting there and Kira was doing all the the running no. around, you know. So we were eventually separated. And that's when we were in, I think, senior infants or whatever. So um, yeah, we've always got along great. The funny thing is, though, so, why we got along so well is my mom wouldn't let us fight. Really? This was the thing. Yeah. So my dad used to say, they their sisters let them fight." And my dad, mom used to turn around and say, "No, they only have each other. They're not allowed to fight." I need Nolene to come to my house, yeah, just for a weekend. Oh, we weren't allowed. So if you fought, but you see, the thing is so funny. Kira and my dad are really similar in personality, right. and mom and I are very similar. So Kira and dad would have a row with you, and then ten minutes later, Kira's terrible. She'd spend. And her last three cents, if she had it to spend, right? Mm-hmm. Where I was like, "All oh, was sensible with my money saving and blah blah blah." So she'd turn around and she'd fight with me over something, don't know or whatever we were fighting over, yeah. literally for two minutes. But I'd be mortally wounded. I'm really upset, so I'd be in my room, traumatized that we're after having a row. And mm-hmm. she'd come barging in, yeah. Um, can I have a loan of twenty pounds? And I'd be like, "Is this one for real?" She's just ate the head off me, literally five minutes ago, and there wouldn't be a bother. i oh, sure it's it. you I'm sorry. And I'd be like, I know. Then mom would have to come up and she'd be like, well, you know what she's like? She's exactly like your father. So that's the type of relationship we had. So we rarely, rarely did fight. Even now we would, even when we worked together. Yeah. We wouldn't really fight like, you know, so we do have a really good bond. She is the best sister. I mean, if I said to her, right, come on, we have to go to Cork tomorrow. We're going to Cork. All those times when I was working mental errors, Kira would do my Christmas shopping. She'd be saying, oh, I'm going here. I saw this coat. I get pictures of it. Do you want that? I'll get you that. I'll buy you that. Or I saw these boots for you. She still mm. sends me things over. Really? So she is like another mother, you know. So I, I couldn't be without her.
2: And then let's talk about your blackness or right. the fact that you're black. After the Tuberti interview, yeah. I contacted you because the connection with us, the Zambian connection with us is that my godfather is Zambian. Yeah. And, um, it's gas. I know.
3: It's just so funny. After all these
2: years. Yeah, and we never knew this, you know, so, um, and Isaac came over. That's a lovely name. Yeah, he came over We again hearsay I don't know but apparently Samantha Mumba's father was oh, friends right. with him yeah, yeah. And, and they all came over together and it that was that makes sense yeah it was something to do with Oilingus and he met my aunt yeah. uh, my aunt and then but I remember uh, what touched me was that my cousin Owen it was yeah. my Holy Communion yeah. And I, I, they were, li- so they lived here and, and they, I think they own at the time and then maybe Wayne. Yeah. And they lived in Ballymun and they left because right. of the racism. Oh, God. And
3: yeah. they moved
2: to Manchester. Yeah. And they live in Manchester now. Right. But um, I remember for my Holy Communion and I was walking down, skipping down Sean McDermott Street with him. Yeah. And there's, I think there's probably about five years between us maybe. Yeah. And I hear like, you know, ah, Jesus, look at them too. Like, you know, I mean? yeah. And it was a sight And then Isaac, I grew up with him. So so, I didn't know any difference from him. Yeah, but yeah. Like, I remember one time, um, one of the girls from the original podcast that I did, Lise Conway, she yeah. came to my door and Isaac opened it. No, it was in the nighttime. Oh, God. So, and <laughs> I, I can imagine. Could you imagine? And he's yeah. big. He's a, like, he probably he's, has amazing teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he's like six foot something, probably. And he's yeah. like just a big, very big built man. Yeah. And it, she, all she could see was teeth, <laughs> yeah. and she got such a fright that she yeah. ran away from the door. You know, and I was yeah. like, "Is she serious?" Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, but people well, weren't used to seeing black people. No, you know? they weren't. Yeah, yeah. And even like I had fear I, of I had, the unknown. Yeah, and I had a conversation with my mom when all uh, Black Lives Matter came up, and I had a conversation with her. And even the terminology she was using, yeah. she was like, all, "All of them were in together, and they all lived together up yeah. this ho- They had a house, and they all there was low."
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcarecom loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.
4: Code buttery, exclusions apply. See site for details.
2: Yeah. And I was like, and she wasn't meaning that. And I know, offense. of course. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I said to her, Mom, you, you're like, you can't say that. And she was like, but it was them. I'd say them about like,
3: it. I know, so, yeah. The connotation behind them. Yeah, yeah. 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 Where is it? And do you know what? It's hard because we all make mistakes when we're talking, you know, about everybody, about, you know, every race. So it's very hard to be so PC all the time. And the only thing is I'd say like, you know, if I find myself saying something wrong, I try and correct myself and say, well, for the likes of your mom, she's old school. Mm. That's the way they were brought up, you know. So this is what I'm talking about now about kids, about, you know, being educated at home. You can't expect teachers to teach your kids everything. You know, it has to start from at home. People think people automatically you know, accept that when people are different, whether it's to do with say me, my scoliosis because of the way I walk with yeah. it. And the, my back has obviously got a big curvature on it. B then because I'm black or mixed race. Mm-hmm. So it's, It's conversations that people have to talk about. Yeah. So if it's never spoken about, how can we expect people to totally understand? So it's just about getting it out there, about speaking about it. Like before this, as you know, we've known each other many years. You've probably learned so many things about me. Like after I did that celebrity show, people are ringing me and said, I never knew you were paralyzed. Yeah. I've known you for 30 years and you never told me that because I don't talk about it. Yeah. But maybe that's where I went wrong because Mm. I didn't feel... I don't know. I won't say the need to talk about it, but it was something that happened to me. So I just dealt with it. But it is about educating people. Mom said to me when I was younger, say when they were going somewhere. Yeah. you. So I always remember getting the talk, as we'll call it. OK, really? So my mom saying to me now, we're going here today, Marguerite or Mags, whatever she'd call me. She'd say to me, they don't mind if people are looking at you. But the way she told me was because you're just so beautiful. You're so unusual. They know, you know, they're mm-hmm. going to be saying, Oh, look at her. She's gorgeous. So they really built it up. So when people now, I mean, and they stared, you know, yourself people stared like their eyes becoming out, eyes and stalks at me, mm-hmm. but I never saw it as a really bad thing. Yeah. You know, that way, but I would be very conscious now of looking at people and like say if I was with <laughs> Kira, was a wagon when we were younger, she'd go mad if someone was there and here she'd be. And I'd be waiting for it to set off on some, oh, really? you know, or say like you or Julia or somebody yeah, who was yeah. with me. It'd be more my friends would be more defensive about it. Yeah. But I really think, you know, in relation to you have to give people a chance. Yeah. You know, there's a difference between genuinely being not knowing and being racist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, we can all say, like, you know, and we've all been around people that have done it. I'm not racist, but, and then they launch into this joke and everybody's supposed to laugh. So does that kill you? Yeah. Yeah. Because you are being racist. And mm. just because it's a joke doesn't mean it's okay. So the thing is, where it's probably before, I mightn't have, you know, spoken up as much. I mightn't have said, oh God. And I'm, I, might, I wouldn't have laughed, but I'd be like, oh, I'd be fuming inside. Yeah. And I wouldn't say anything. I'd probably be more embarrassed when I shouldn't have been. Yeah. They should have been the one that's embarrassed. Whereas now I'd say, you know what? That's actually not funny. That's mm-hmm. racist. But the thing is, when you call people out, genuine people will be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, I honestly didn't. And you're like, it's fine. Blah, blah, blah. Explain. Explain. Why it's racist. So I always say it's racist because, you know, we can't say the N words yeah. or something that really got to me lately. I don't know whether you saw it on Twitter. There was, well, it was all over the media about the writing that was on. Was it the Haypenny Bridge or one of the bridges in town? Yeah. That said N out, you know, yeah. the words anyway. So now this is where I really got annoyed, right? First of all, i seeing seen that, okay. But then a radio station interviewed Obviously passers by, but they only played one passerby, what they commented. So, um, the comment was, you know, what do you think when you look at that? So it's obviously a white person that they interviewed. Yeah. And this, it was a guy and he said, Oh, well, if I was in the likes of Spain or wherever it was, can't remember what country in, and I saw leprechauns out, <gasps> I wouldn't be offended by that. So even somebody saying something like that, like you can't compare that to what was actually written. Yeah, so this is the type, this is the type of person we're trying to change the mindset of people. Do you think that's stupidity though or do you think, what do you think that is? You know what, I actually can't even get my brain around it. Yeah, because now, right, Black Lives Matter has always been around. And that's the one thing I want to say, like people are probably looking at me that never spoke about myself before, as I've said mm. in the last while. Um, and now I'm up here and I'm chatting and I'm telling this and I'm telling that I'm only doing it because maybe I should have been doing it a long time ago. Yeah. You know, black people, you're always defending yourself. Yeah. So when I was younger, I would defend myself in different ways. You're always trying to prove yourself, you know, and in retail, I, I told like a few stories that, you know, say I'm in the shop. Mm and everybody's busy and I was the manager then before I left for a few years so I kind of be on the floor all the time Mm. but people would come in and they would avoid coming to me they'd be trying to go over to somebody doing one of the makeup artists doing a makeover asking them to get something even though I'm clearly free I'm ready to help them so I'd always walk over and say hi can I help you with something? No, it's okay. And was that a certain generation? or was no, that completely mixed. Completely mixed. Completely mixed. So then I'd say, okay, give them a few minutes. And then mm. I'd say, you know, and they'd say, say my friend Paige or whatever worked there. She would say, no, Marguerite will help you. Yeah. So I think, no, do you want me to get you something? And by the time then, but well, then I used to have to nearly prove myself that I was a good person. And then I'd be annoyed at myself, like, you know, that you did that. raging, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, I'm going to treat everybody equally, you know, yeah. so why can't they afford me that just because of the color of my skin? But then you'd find people, they'd nearly be hugging and kissing you because, so a lot of it is ignorance. Yeah. A lot of it is. Do you think it's fear, Manx? Again, it's stuff that's instilled from them. They are hearing these things from somebody do you think so so? yeah so whether it's from it could be a flippant remark that was made years ago yeah oh there as in that word Mm. there you know this so if you hear that say when you're six or something Mm. and that's constantly spoken about like that in your house yeah so you're you're being brought up with that attitude that these type of people black people or whoever you're talking about yeah you know aren't your type of people So it's these things get instilled. And then there's the likes of now that we're hearing so much about, you know, the far right groups. And, you know, it's, it's frightening. It's absolutely frightening. The stuff that they put up is, you know, it's, and it's really hard to cope with. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, you know, um, but it is very hurtful. You know, it's just, but I, like, uh, nobody can help what sex they're born, what race they're born. You know, that's who you are. You know, so we just have to be more accepting of everybody. It's really a lot of it has opened up my eyes about um just how we're we're very unaccepting of something that we deem to be different from us. Do you think so? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's hard to it's it's horrible to say, but it, it's true. You know, um, so it comes down to the person that you are. And you do have to look at yourself and you do have to say, right, you know what? I would have said this, but now I know I'm not going you're to. Not allowed, and that's to fine. Yeah, Like, you know, I'm not labeling somebody for the rest of their life. People have sent me, oh my God, the amount of messages I got after I did the Black and Irish yeah. story, which is kind of where it all came from. And that was done. Like, I honestly didn't think anything would happen with that. Yeah, I was actually in work when the message was posted. Now, oh, Rebecca, I was shaking. Like I got really? this ping on my phone. I was like, oh, what's that? And then I looked and it's like, your story's live. I was like, oh my God. Really? And I hadn't really told anyone I did it. Yeah. So I was shaking. I was on a call at the time speaking to a patient. So I couldn't even like. Oh my God. Have a nervous breakdown to mm. myself. And I was like, oh my God. That's right. So I fin- finished dealing with the patient. I was like, oh God. I didn't even want to go in and read it. Because I'd done it a while before. Yeah. So I was like, what did I say? Oh my God. And where God. did that contact come from? So I actually, the page, the Black and Irish page, somehow I came across it. You know, you and I were, were on Twitter and we're on Instagram. So it was on Instagram and I came across it. And I think they only just launched, there might've been one post. And I saw them put up a thing and I read it. And it was kind of from the Black Lives Movement that they, these guys started up. It's... um t- some guys and girls that did it—they're they're just brilliant. I'm still obsessed with the page. They're yeah. they're really good. And um, the stories that are brilliant. Um, so they said, "Oh, we're looking for people to tell their story." Yeah, so I said that. Ah, you know what? I'll send it in. You yeah. know, honest to God, I didn't think anything of really? it. I thought, oh yeah, I'll send it in. They probably won't even put it up. And my my story was huge. Like, so they were like, we might just have to edit it Hilarious. a bit. So I was like, yeah, grand. No, but still didn't think anything of it. Yeah. And then, and literally from that, it actually blew up. The messages, I was weeks answering messages from total strangers, people from all over the world Same were messaging. what to you? Just, do you know what? I'm very, very blessed again, such positive messages mm-hmm. and saying, you know, when I'm reading what happens, when I'm reading what you're saying, the likes of saying like, you know, oh, I never saw color or uh, where are you really from? Oh God, I've said that. And I've like friends messaged me like really upset saying I'm so sorry if I offended. And I said, no, it's fine. I said, you know, the message is not to make anybody feel bad, it's to make things better. And that's all that, you know, that I, I'm concerned about. you know, Irish people say that, Oh, where are you from? Where are you really from? As in, you know, say if you said Dublin I need a Cork accent. Yeah. You know, people wanna yeah. say that. Yeah. So um I suppose it's just about thinking before you speak. Or if somebody turns around and said, like if I, if somebody turned around, if you turned around to me and said, you know what, that's really offensive what you said to me. Mm. I, as a person say, I am so sorry. Yeah. You know, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you don't always get that. You kind of say, oh, well be offended or they got offended that you're offended that they've offended <laughs> them. So that's why certain, sometimes people are afraid to call people out on it. Yeah. Cause they're like, it's going to come back on me. And if you look at a lot of trolling online, that's what happens. Yeah. So you say something, they pick up on it and then it comes back. And it always comes to the thing that, well, how can you be Irish if you're not white? That's what they're basically saying. So like I was born here, I was born in an Irish hospital, Yeah, you know, four to six years ago. But people are telling me that I'm not Irish. I'm Irish. Working out the podcast and making sure that
2: I don't offend. Yeah. And I don't un- unintentionally offend Offense. somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. If I yeah. do, I can obviously say, look, Jesus, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Or, or, yeah. or
3: do you think that we have a racism problem in Ireland? Yes, we definitely do. But a lot of people think that we don't. What I do want to say on a positive spin about it, it has changed a lot in the last few years. But say anybody who's on Twitter, anybody who's listening now, not so much on Instagram, because Instagram's mainly just pictures and you know things like that. Go on to Twitter. That mm. is an ugly world. Like I love Twitter, it can be yeah. great, but it can be very, very harsh as well. There's, you know, even look at say some of the influencers' stuff, you know. Yeah. Look at the horrible messages, you know, that people post. So when it comes to like being black or being in Black Lives Matter, like I did get a few things from people saying, oh, how come you're just suddenly talking about this now? Bandwagon? Yeah, like I'm What's jumping on that. How okay. can you jump on a bandwagon that you actually, I'm part of? Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, I put my hand up in the air and I'll say, no, I didn't talk about it before because my personal life was my personal life. Yeah. But I really think, I suppose that... um In order to make a change, we have to be able to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. Now, when I say uncomfortable for me, I only mean uncomfortable because I have to bear my soul. I have to, you know, say things that I don't really want to talk about because they're my life and it is personal. But then in order to make a change, I have to be able to tell my story so people can listen and say all right okay i take the points there or i see where this is going do you know that way yeah so and i think people relate better when they hear a personal story as well that it's not just some random person you know that somebody that they could connect with um and i think as well that yeah racism in ireland is so big really yeah it's terrible very easy for me to say really yeah you yeah. Know, as a white person no it is but you know what really opened my eyes even more mm. do you notice on TV and all the magazines how many black people are flooding the TV media they're everywhere now yeah. where were we before that yeah. nowhere yeah and it's not because we didn't apply for the jobs or you know obviously there was black models there was black yeah. musicians there was black broadcasters. Jose and Nadine. Nadine, I yeah. love Nadine. Yeah, yeah. get yeah. on really well with her. She is, she's brilliant. She's really good because you know what? She gives such a positive vibe as well. Mm. She's very flamboyant. She's very honest. I've met um, her a couple of times. Yeah, mm. yeah. So um, yeah, really love her. Now mm. suddenly there's one on every ad. There's one, you know, yeah. they're in studios. It's like all of a sudden, quick, get the black people. So I think... Yeah, we need to see more black people on things, but not just for tokenism. So Nadine had already been yeah. into the market. Yeah, she had, yeah. She was already there, mm. which I think is brilliant. So now we need to see more people constantly there. And do you so, think
2: it's a token thing right now?
3: Yeah. Do you sad to say, yeah. yeah. Yes.
2: it's a token black person you, you see it from the the uh, movies you know the, the yeah. YM brothers years ago yeah. the YM's yeah. and they made the like the white chicks and yeah. the scream um, things and they did oh the token this is a token the the black, black person. person yeah
3: yeah so you know in some ways it's not a bad thing because now the market is flooded with black people mixed race, mixed race people people colour whatever everybody wants anybody wants to describe themselves up. so yeah it was tokenism but that's okay if it's going to get people places, you know, so you if feel it like opens that? up, do you, do you like, do you feel like that? That's okay. Or I don't think, not that it's okay. It's, it's yes, it was tokenism at the beginning. So let's see how long it lasts. Is this going to wear off in a year? Are we still going to have all those black people on magazines on, yeah. you know, on, um, TV adverts? You know, so at the moment there is like, and it's so funny because even for me, I'm looking at TV going, "Oh my god, I've never seen so many yeah. black people or mixed race or people of color before." You an it's, actually, it's actually unusual for me. Yeah. So that'll tell you how different it is. So, like, did you find that from the ads? And yeah. Like, what's your take on that? Yeah. yeah like I've seen, it, I've seen it I've seen it. Like, and I said, Security, like, just to see is, it and you know, yeah. and you're like.
2: Oh my God, they've just taken that, redone the whole ad. Yeah, and with, put a black person, like, person in. black person Yeah. And you're like, yeah. oh my, like, I, I don't say why, because I know why, but yeah. at the same time, is it just because of yeah. the Black Lives movement? Yeah, it is.
3: Now, in fairness, how do I get this point across? It's a little bit hard. So in fairness, I see what people are trying to do. They are trying to change and that's great because mm. that's what we're looking for. So now let's look down a year down the line and see, is that all still in place? Because this should be something that's fluid now. Yeah. Runs all the time. Yeah. So it's brilliant that so many people are getting opportunities that they probably should have been gotten getting for the last 20 years. God love them on the scene. So now, yeah, it's great, but it it definitely is tokenism and people have given out about this and I understand why Mm. it's like, you know, um, you know, in huge companies, like pe- directors have stood down and replaced them with a black director. Yeah. You know, like that's not right either. No. Because that causes people saying, oh, they only got that job now because they're black. Mm. We don't want that. Yeah. We just wanted, all I want is fairness. Yeah. You know,
2: so. And do you know when you're saying, wait, do you think it's us against, there isn't us
3: against them element to this or. Uh, in, in times there can be. Yeah, Right. In certain circles there is. I suppose it's like men and men and female, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's that tug. Mm. Nobody wants to admit that. Yeah, it is us against them. Yeah. So, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like, as I said, why does it matter? Like, why does it matter if you're a woman and someone's a man or I'm black and you're white? So why does that matter? So we need to just get rid of the whole what everybody is yeah you know and just be accepting so if I come in and I say you know I'm Marguerite and I'm black oh Grant yeah that's fine yeah not oh god are you mm, well your skin is a little bit light because people say oh you're a bit light now you know so would you call yourself black or would you be more mixed, mixed race or yeah no I wouldn't call you black oh god yeah people say it and are we
2: still using the term mixed race
3: yeah a lot of people do yeah 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 Whatever if you're unsure, just say to somebody, do you mind me asking? Yeah. You know, what race are you? You know, so people, m- more, most people don't mind. Most people will tell you straight off. But when people get annoyed is when people presume things, you know, or try to tell you that you're like, I'm, I'd be quite, I suppose, you know, I'm not really dark dark. No, no. But, you know, somebody that's even lighter than me, they'd be saying, oh, but you're not dark at all how could you say that you're a mixed race or how can you say you're black if they want to be black they're black you know how does it have, like what I want to know is why is it on your business why Why do you care so much and then
2: yeah. this whole since the, the black black and Irish thing came out yeah. since the fact that you have been more vocal about it and yeah. do you know what Max maybe it's, it's age as well maybe you want to go well listen yeah
3: you know I'm, I'm, I'm I'm old enough now. I want to be able to say what I want to say. I think you're right there. The age you do. And, uh, you know, you probably remember when you were younger and your parents say, oh, as you get older, things change and you become a little bit more, you know, you use your voice a bit more. Yeah. And it is true. I would have, like, I would come over that I'm a very confident person, but I'm not. And then with all of that, so... From the Black Lives movement and
2: from Tuberty and from all your vocalism, I will say. Yeah. Have, ha, have you noticed friends or relationships or acquaintances move away or, or? Yeah,
3: yeah. I have noticed a change. 99.9% of people have been really, really supportive. Um, you know, absolutely. I just, I'll say this one person, my friends my friends, Anya and Carly and carl they live in America. Um, after doing, I think it was the Torbati, yeah. It was a celebrity show. I think he sent it to me and he sent me this amazing message. Like, you know, from a guy, you're just like, I literally, honest to God, I was in floods of tears reading it. It was, I got up in the morning and, um, they're in the States. So the time difference, so I didn't get it when he sent it to me and I woke up the next morning, and just went in I was like, oh, a message from Carl clicked into it, not expecting to read what I, I was just completely floored. And you know what? That one message actually made me feel on top of the world. He just said the most amazing stuff about just been so supportive. And, you know, it was just uh, like I kept the message and I, I messaged him back. And I was like, thanks a million. You don't know what that message meant to me. I messaged oh, and his wife and I was like, yeah. your husband's amazing. I'm after getting the most oh. amazing message from him. So the support, like all you guys have been so supportive. Then there's been a little few that, yeah, it, people that you really thought were going to be, now, I'm not saying I'm not doing this for credit. Yeah. You know, you don't go on to bear your soul just for the crack, to be yeah. honest. No, no, you don't. Yeah. Um, it is, as I said, it's all very personal. But I'm glad I've done it because it's made me a completely different person. You know, I'm happy to talk about it now, which is great. And, you know, I probably should have been talking about all this you know, the medical yes. side of it for years. I never told anybody anything because I felt I had to keep it to myself. I don't know why. That's probably just an insecurity of in myself. But now I, I'm, you know, it's, I'm actually glad I can talk about it now. Yeah. I don't have to feel like I need to blend in. Like I used to wear black all the time. I thought <laughs> this sounds hilarious mm-hmm. to blend in like how can you blend in when you're the only black person somewhere you know because I felt like I didn't want to make myself seen because of my back and people are going to notice of course they're going to notice it's a curvature of the spine. yeah there's no there's no hiding it and why should I it's part of me yeah so it's helped me really accept it and I know it's who you are yeah Mm -hmm. and I know at this age it's terrible yeah because I you know I do come over very confident so it's good to show your vulnerable side and say you know what right okay I I probably should have said this a long time ago. So it's great that way. So yeah, there's been one. No, I mean, very few. Well, you know, they might have their issues as well. Yeah. So everybody has. And that's the thing is if someone does something that you're not happy with, you have to kind of flip it around before you lose it. Yeah. Because you have to say, right, what's going on in their life? You know, what are they going to? Why do they feel like this? Some people you're never going to change. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing you have to accept. Okay, so we can't change everybody, but if we can change one or two people, well, that makes such a difference because they in turn, it's a ripple effect. It's like a domino effect, but definitely doing that. I think the Black and Irish page, those guys, they're brilliant, like they're young, they're in their 20s, you know, they've social media, they've hit it like a storm. They're really They care about people. What they started is amazing because they got people talking. Yeah, You know, look at all the stories that are on the page. If anybody hasn't seen it, check out their page, um, Black and Irish. It's just really good. And read the stories. And a lot of them are so similar. Like a lot of the things that people say, the racism that they experience, and especially in school. School is coming out. I'm not saying it's down to teachers. No. But they don't get proper, like there's anti-bullying legislations for school and things like that. There's no anti-racism. So all this needs to come in. Like pupils need to be told there's zero tolerance for bullying, zero tolerance for racism, zero tolerance for, you know. How mad is that? Yeah, diversity and everything. You know, you have to be inclusive of everybody, you know. Like they had a teacher on the Black and Irish page one night. He was actually, was brilliant. He was really interesting. Yeah, And he said a very interesting thing. So he's, somebody asked a question and said, how do they deal with racism in the classroom? Yeah. So they're not actually really allowed to approach the pupil. Whereas if I picked up my phone and threw it at your head. Yeah. He'd be able to approach me over that. What? Yeah. So if there's racism in the classroom, he said it normally goes to the headmaster or whoever's in charge. Yeah, the that's principal. up. Yeah. Now, I don't know whether it applies to all schools. Yeah. But again, it's something that has to be changed and it's it's everywhere. It's in the workplace as well you yeah. know.
2: and tell me this right Mags just off mic there we just grabbed yeah. a quick cup of tea and um, we just talked about PE racism mm-hmm. and I think it wasn't me that used the word it was Paul yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: and I, I know like, what he means yeah. I think
2: it's a bit apt or is that like
3: wrong? you to say yeah I suppose the context I suppose we'll say what it was used in yeah was that years ago Mm. Um, And say older generation, say the likes of our nannies Mm. and our granddad or whatever, it would be like a penny for the black baby. Yeah. So as in they were doing good by giving the money. Yeah. So because they were in in their way, it was being supportive. Yeah. You know, that way. So it wasn't meant in a malicious. Yeah. You know, they were doing good. (laughs) And I suppose it's like, you know, the Trulker ads and all that years ago. Yeah. You know, we'd all bring home our troker boxes. I know mm. they still do now. Mm. So again, education system was so different. You know, it's just but, but like anything, everything has to change with the times, you know, yeah. I'm not saying things that went on years ago was was okay, just because they didn't really know. Yeah. But they didn't really have to educate. We have no excuse now. Mm. Nobody has no. an excuse. Our phones are with us 24-7. You know, we have Google. Yeah. We have everything. We've talked to each other. So it is about trying to bring about a change. It needs to happen probably a bit quicker. It's sad. Like nobody wants to believe that the country they live in is racist. Racist. You know, we don't because, oh, it's Ireland and we're all so lovely. What do you say to someone who
2: says yeah. to you that Black yeah. Lives Matter is just a phase?
3: Well, if it's just a phase, how come it's all, it's been happening for so many years with so many people like... Martin Luther King, you know, the Black Panthers, Bishop Desmond Tutu, you know, everybody like look at the Obamas even, I mean, they were amazing, you know, so Oprah, it's all like so many people, like the list goes on. Mm. Then there's the people that we don't hear about that are endless campaigners, you know, Like, you know, people are saying to me, oh, you're a great anti-racist campaigner. I even feel bad saying I'm an anti-racist campaigner because I'm not out there pounding the streets. Yeah. But I'm doing it in my way, you know, and every little bit counts. So yeah. I think once once you're willing to stand up, and, you know, try and justify why you're doing something, you shouldn't really have to. But unfortunately, we do. Mm. So that's why I kind of said, no, I have to give my, I want to give my voice to this. and um, Black Lives Matter, oh, it's never gone away now.
2: What racism have have you have you experienced?
3: Yeah, just name calling um you know oh go back to your own country um oh you're not from here though no, but I am and then you get really annoyed and you're like I don't have to defend myself yeah, but you do have to defend yourself yeah so um say you're in like that in a shop people will try to pretend that you're invisible like and jump ahead in, in, in a queue. You know, and if you don't say, sorry, I'm next, yeah. you know, they're looking at you, you know, but then it's up to people to say, you know, sorry, actually this lady was before you or, or yeah. this guy is before you. And um, just simple things like, you know, people pick up a banana and go, hoo, hoo, actually, you, you know, like, you know, oh my God. yeah, horrible things. I've been called chalk ice. Um, oh God, what, it's been spat at, public transport. What? I I still did say I don't really like going to public transport. Because I was abused so much when I was younger on buses and things like that. Spat at, called names, and um, you know people would sit so, beside you. Like,
2: people need to see you. You're so petite, you know. What I mean, you're not yeah. like you know this big presence, even though you are when you when you talk to yeah. because you've got this fabulous personality. Oh, thank but, you. Um, you. haven't. You can take that, and um, you yeah. haven't
3: got this big physical presence. No, no, yeah. So, but that just shows you don't have to. That shows that they they don't wow. actually care yeah all they see is the, the, the colour. that's when they see the color but in the see. wrong way yeah so you know that will tell you what their mindset like literally they look at you and decide that they hate you, you and there is there is people out there who are there just is nice, and that's what I know. said we're never going to change everybody yeah but we have to try and you know get the message across that you know what's going on is wrong now, mm. like, say the likes of yourself and Julie and Kira, you know, and other friends, you're all bringing up kids. Mm. This is what's coming up next, you know, yeah. all these future generations. So I think it's important now, even for kids, like, as I said, say to my nephews, you know, and how do you feel about everybody being mixed in your class? And, yeah. You know, kind of thing. And they're so used to it because they have me. They yeah. don't see that as a big thing. Yeah. So I was trying to tell them, well, you know, when I went to school, I was the only person who was black and they were like oh my god where are you they don't even it's they mad. can't even comprehend that, that yeah and that's deadly you yeah. know but that's not to say that racism won't exist now with the younger generation mm. because they're learning from their parents or relatives yeah. or friends that they're hanging around but on the road how does
2: 46 year old mags yeah. deal with racism compared to 16 year old or
3: 26 year old mags I think now I try to rationalize it in my brain and try to get why does this person think like this? Mm. So whereas when I was younger, I would probably would have been, oh, my God, that's really offensive. And I probably would have been upset, but then let it go. Mm. Whereas now I'm kind of like, no, I want to know why you feel like that. But a lot of it. Yeah, I probably would have kind of tried to ignore a lot of it. You'd be hurt. You can't help being hurt or mm. human. You know, I might, I might brush it off at the time, but then if I was home that night, I'd be like, God, that was a horrible thing now that yeah. that person said to me, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I suppose now I'd probably be a little bit more ballsy about it. And as, as I said to you earlier on, none of us were all, what did I say? Um, what was I always saying? We're perfectly imperfect. Mm. So yeah, call me out if I say something bad. It was the same about the Magdalene laundry thing. Like I was so upset. Were you? Because, oh, I got attacked online about it in supposedly like one of these kind of support groups for adopted people. Um, it was basically when my story came out, and it was all these horrible comment, comments written. Like I can laugh about it now. It's probably a nervous laugh. Yeah. But I was absolutely, I was shaken. It was happened at night. Everything always seems to happen at night. You know, just before you go sleep, so couldn't sleep yeah. all night. I was tossing and turning thinking, oh my God, these people hate me, you know? And I said the wrong thing. And then I was talking to my friend Liz and um, the next day and I was telling her what happened. And she was like, but Marguerite, she said, you wrote it. You said the information that you were given. She said. Yeah. And in fairness, when you look at Magdalene Laundry's mother and baby homes, they're all places that nobody should have been, like those industrial schools, Mm. you know, nobody should have been there, you know. And (laughs) she said, don't beat yourself up about it, you know. So that's why kind of now I've clarified You know, okay, it was a mother and baby home. Like I wrote under the message, I read all the messages that they'd written. Now some are grand, some are, you know what? Oh oh God, you know, maybe she didn't know or, you know, her story, fair play to her for talking out or whatever. And I did write, like there was no offense made. This is the information I was given. And then I just left the group because I I just said, you know what? There's some, there's some people that are so, Upset and so damaged by what's happened to them, yeah. and I have to accept that because I know what it's like. Mm. I they might have had like, as I said, I was there until I was three. Yeah. So my experience, I can't fully remember everything. Yeah. Which for me is good. Mm. You know, I'm glad I don't really remember a lot of it, and but some people probably do, and they're quite traumatized, and and maybe they're not as lucky as you to yeah, find. Um, they exactly. Don't have a, yeah. a Michael and Noeline. some do you know people I mean? that were adopted, you know, what that were never in an orphanage or never anywhere. They went straight from the hospital, straight to their new parents. Mm. They still have issues because there is a feeling of abandonment. There is, you know, Mm. all these issues. Well, why was I given away? And why didn't they want me? And, you know, you know, why aren't they looking for me now? So there is a lot to deal with. It's not just, oh, you have a new family, get on with your life. And what's wrong with you kind of thing. And then
2: on that has, so other than
3: been 16
2: and her having to sign that letter like again Um, and has there been any
3: other contact from her no is she alive I don't know really Mike? yeah don't know I know she's 75 so do you know if she went on to have children you know anything yeah I did hear that yeah yeah that's one thing I think there's like three three I hate saying the word half people do say yeah siblings i suppose they they are half siblings because Mm. we don't have the same father um but yeah so now again hearsay but um i did hear that she got married and had kids and seemingly it's quite common for especially around that age group or when i was born in the 60s 70s 80s that mothers that gave away children um, or had children taken from them in some, mm. in a lot of cases that they did get married within a year or two and have families. And I can understand that, you know, it's, it's you know, what? it's so complex. Yeah, it's absolutely so complex. You know, I do think of my biological parents all the time. They're part of me. You know, it's without them, I wouldn't be here, you know. Mm. So, and yeah, you know, when people say like, you know, oh, my God, is the image of your mom or she's the image of your dad. like, yeah. who am I the image of? You yeah. know, it's like when you go to hospital, every time you go to the doctor, what's your, what's your medical background? Well, I don't know because I don't know my parents. Mm. And every form, you know yourself. Yeah. And then it's like passport. How do you, what's your name? Yeah. So I had a different name. Obviously, I had my birth name. Yeah. Well, I was Marguerite, but I had a different surname. Yeah. So that was all changed. So it's all that explaining, explaining, explaining all the time. But for me, I do think of my biological parents and my parents are amazing. Like they've always said to me since I was young, Oh, we'd love you to find your parents. Yeah. We'd love you to trace. Um, but it's just, do you know what? It's, that is a whole can of worms. Can of worms. You know, I've seen people, I know people that have gone down the tracing route. Some has been brilliant. Some have been absolute disasters that people have been scarred really yeah very emotional nothing can prepare you for that no amount of counseling and is that why you don't want to do it um it's not that i don't want to do it i think it's very hard in ireland Mm. it's very difficult you don't know like i know say one particular case where they were told that they found their biological mother for them and, oh, this person was so excited and everything was brilliant. And um, then two weeks later, they were told, oh, your biological mother doesn't want to make contact Shit. with it. So, and then I, that person just went a, well, How do you process that? How you do you deal with that? Like you're dealing with your abandonment like a all double, over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this time it's like, oh, well, oh my God. It's like I'm a fully grown adult or whatever age, you know. And, but um, well, yeah, you like... You can't even prepare your brain. You can say beforehand, right? They might not want to meet me because they've had their life. They might, their new, their husband or whatever now yeah. might know anything about me. Because remember, this all happened probably prior to them getting married yeah. or now some people were married and it was just their first child mm. and they didn't have the money and they had kids afterwards. And then that's another thing. That's what So you is. found out then that your parents are, your biological parents are still together and now they have more kids. Yeah. So... It's That's just, very hard. And then it's like, well, sorry, you kept your other three kids. we you didn't keep me. keep me. So there's so many things to it. And there's so much side. And I firmly believe, and I really believe this, that it must be the hardest thing for any parent to do. Because mm. you just said that. Get up their child. Yeah. yeah. I you, really do. Like, I don't have kids. Mm. But I know from you guys, I know from my sister, my own mom and dad, you know, like even my nephews. You know what I mean? Do you forgive them? I don't think there's anything to forgive. Right. Yeah. I don't feel that way. I'm like grateful because I probably wouldn't have had, I would have had a completely different life. Yeah. You know, so my mother made the decision. So I have to know that what she, she made that decision for me, not for her. Yeah. You know, which I think is really selfless thing for her to do. It was, she must've had some strength. Can you imagine like carrying, carrying your baby, then having to give give yeah, the baby away. Never. And then I hear she came to see me. So she was coming in and out. Now I don't know yeah. whether it's 100% true again. But yeah, it's mind blown. Like how much she had felt to come in, see her daughter, then leave, mm. come back again, you know, a few times and then live with that. What would you say to her? I have no idea. <laughs> I try, Sometimes you think about it in your head. Yeah. You know, oh God, if it just happened to, and people were saying to me about tuberty. God, what do you think do you think listen. is somebody going to know, you know, kind mm. of thing. Um, and then they said, because like her brothers probably would have known about me. So yeah. they were older. There were five brothers and there was one younger sister. So the chances are they did know. Mm. They were like, what would you do if somebody contacted But You can't plan. I'd like to think, I don't, I honestly don't know how I'd react I think I'd be delighted, but I'd be so nervous. Nervous. Anxiety IG, you would be, oh God, to be off the Richter scale. Did
2: you have, growing up, like your 16-year-old self, your 18 year old self, self, you know, did, did
3: you have those thoughts in your heads? I think I, this is hilarious. Well, I used to be more the Africa side that I was going to get this call that I was some like African princess. <laughs> and I, I had a big dairy of cash coming to me. Hilarious. But I think that's every girl and boy's dream, isn't it? That yeah. you're going to be a prince or a, yeah. a, a king or a queen or whatever, and that you were going to inherit loads of cash and a big gaff, you know? Hilarious. But, um, yeah, like, you know, I used to think, I used to try and think, That uh, God, what would they look like? Yeah, you do. Your mind does, and be like, oh God, okay. So my mom is seventy five now. I wonder what she looks like. on my dad, he probably looks young because he's black, you know. Yeah, you know, and they normally look really young, you know. But yeah, I don't know what I do if I was got a phone call to say, okay, now we now have your biological mother here, and she wants to meet you. I actually don't know what I do. Do you think your mom has wept for you over the years? Ah, yeah, I I think I think parents would do that. Yeah. And that's heartbreaking. I don't feel any malice at all because the way I see it is she didn't have a choice. At the end of the day, she still she still put me in a place where she thought I'd be safe and where she thought I'd get adopted or fostered from. Mm -hmm. So and the fact that she did, you know, uh, come and visit. Yeah, I do believe I do believe she did it. For my good. Mm. And I think it was probably detrimental for her. I think it was, must have been very hard for my biological father. He was obviously back in Zambia. Mm. What way did he feel about it? He, pro- he probably had no choice. But
2: mm. well, I'd say that you're you're an absolute credit to your mom and dad, uh, Michael. They're a credit to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd like to say that you're a credit to your mom and dad yeah. as well. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think yeah. if she if she did know the person you are today yeah. like, like i I, abso- I know that like she'd absolutely love you because everyone who meets you i think loves you
3: do you know what i mean yeah i am blessed in fairness i have such a good friends base as well but yeah it is good to have good friends and good family it definitely helps you along the way
2: and you hit the adoption jackpot with no even making kira, Kirtle, and and kira. Kirtle, like, yeah
3: i did i did, did.
2: And on that note, we'll end it there, Max. Oh, so thanks for having me.
3: Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be on your podcast. <laughs> oh, just Everybody, it. tune in.
2: <laughs> just on your Instagram, where can people find I'm you? I'm at Magzie Malou. On Insta. Yeah, Preface. on Insta. Yeah.
3: Thanks, Max. No problem. Thank you.